Welcome to the second in our series on the life of David. These are difficult times. A scientist described uh, the coronavirus pandemic as a world war. With 20 million cases across the globe and three quarters of a million deaths, who could argue? Some of you listening may have lived through wars. Many more will have lived through the troubles and will recall the upset and dread that it brought to our lives. But in recent years, we've got used to living in relative peace and prosperity. While some of us as individuals have suffered loss of loved ones or illness or major disappointment, but on the whole, we have lived through good times. Think back to this time last year when we enjoyed worship and fellowship of hundreds of people in the Crescent Church building. Or thinking ahead last year to a foreign holiday to get some sunshine and away from all this rain. Who could have imagined last year what this year would be like? It's a reminder that we live in a fallen and unstable world. Our account of the life of David comes from an era when there was little peace or prosperity for the ordinary men or women in Israel. The nations around were in a perpetual state of war. It was survival of the fittest. The people of Israel had repeatedly broken the covenant that God had made with them and so found themselves without his protection often and at the mercy of nations around them. <clears throat> the title of our talk today is A Heart That Found Strength in God. It will remind us that as believers we have a faith that not only sets us right with a just God but provides strength to deal with the realities of life. The series on the life of David that we're looking at this month shows that David, as God's chosen future king of Israel, still had to deal with the ups and downs of life. Some of David's woes were self-inflicted. Others were brought on by the mischief of people around him. But God was willing to forgive a contrite heart and restore David. If we come to the passage that has been read this morning, we find that David had spent the last couple of years on the run from King Saul. David was hailed as a hero for his deeds over the Philistines, for killing Goliath and helping the Israelites defeat the Philistines. He's young, handsome, full of self-belief. Maybe Saul knew that David had already been anointed by God as a future king. But Saul was determined to kill David. So David really had no alternative but to leave Israel if he, feared, if he sought to protect his life. But David isn't where he should be. David ends up amongst the Philistines because when he was discouraged and he had to leave the people of God and the land of Israel, he cast his lots with the Philistines instead. He and his band of fighters had become robbers, killers, terrorising the nations to the south of Israel. He was aligned to one of the Philistine leaders who let him settle in the town of Ziglag. Now David was supposed to attack Israelite settlements in Judah to keep in with the Philistines, but in reality he raided other tribes and nations. And to keep up the pretense, he massacred everyone in the towns that he raided so that no one would be able to report back to the Philistines what he was really up to. Now we learned in the previous chapter that the Philistines had mobilised and were ready to attack Israel. They had drawn up their armies and David and his band of 600 warriors joined them, ready to do battle with Israel. 
David now finds in him, himself in a place where he would never have been. He was among the ungodly, ready to fight against God's people. But God intervened. The Philistine leaders recognized David and insisted that he be removed from their army. Basically, they didn't trust him. They knew his past. They knew that he had killed Goliath, that he was a Hebrew. He was part of God's people. Even though David had forgotten this, the Philistine leaders knew. David would never have slipped into this sinful place if he'd remembered who he really was and what his destiny was. There are several lessons we can draw from this morning. And the first one is that as Christians, we can sometimes get to a point in our lives where we should not be and where God does not want us to be. It could be a wrong relationship or an addiction or bad company. Being there weakens our relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. We lose our appetite for spiritual things and drift further apart from Him. Maybe lockdown has done that for you. You're out of the routine of worship, of being taught from God's Word, and the fellowship of other believers. But be aware you are still loved by your Heavenly Father. He wants to get back into communion with you. Back to the story. So David and his men have been turned away from the Philistine army and they begin a three-day march back to their home in Ziglag. As they were within a few miles of their city, tired and weary from the march, David and his men's hearts must have been brightened. Although they'd been discouraged that they hadn't been allowed to fight with the Philistines, they knew they were coming home. And home meant family and familiar surroundings. But as they approached Ziglag, they must have seen the smoke rising. This wasn't smoke from cooking pots. It was a black smoke of destruction. No one came to greet them. And as they looked on, they were confronted by a scene of mass destruction. There was no sign of life, of family, animals, possessions, all gone. As they had neared the city, they must have wondered why no one had come out to greet them. Where were their wives and children? Weren't they glad to see them? But when they came to Ziglag and saw it was a ghost town, a pile of burned rubble with no voice or no survivors. It seems that everything was lost. Verse 1 in our reading tells us that David's town had been invaded by the Amalekites. The Amalekites perhaps had done it in revenge for raids that David had been carrying out on their people. Ironically, the Amalekites were more merciful than David. They didn't kill their hostages they carried them off. We have read that David and his men lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. All was lost. At this point, David has nothing to support him. No one in Israel could help him. The Philistines didn't want him. His family was gone. All that he owned was gone. Even his friends, his warriors, turned against him. They spoke of killing him, of stoning him to death. Such was their anguish and anger at their betrayal. He lost everything. His family were gone and even his band of followers were mutinying against him. Can you imagine the despair that David must have felt? I can recall the anguish on the faces of those who have lost loved ones in war. The television pictures from Syria of mothers or fathers wailing over the death of their children from an airstrike or a sniper's bullet. 
That was the depths of despair that David felt. But in the depths of his despair, we read, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. There is a second lesson for us here. Sometimes when we are in the depths of despair, we know our God is there to strengthen us. Sometimes when we've drifted away from the Lord and lost our first love for him, perhaps through circumstances, but as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, he hasn't forgotten us. The story of the prodigal son in Luke's Gospel illustrates this perfectly. The son who had turned his back on the father, who'd taken off and gone to a foreign land, spent all his riches and returned penniless. And now the father was waiting for him to greet him, to show him love and hospitality again. As David surveyed the scene, he knew he was responsible for the calamity. In his backslidden and wavered state, he realised that God was his only strength. Now faced with the situation David was in, as a warrior, his natural reaction would have been to leave Ziglag immediately and follow the raiders and bring back the captives. But he didn't do that. Instead, he turned to God. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Why would God strengthen him after all that David had done? Because God is rich in mercy and grace and because David was now completely broken, ready to be filled. So David doesn't rush off. He consults one of God's priests and asks what course of action he should take. We're told that the priest wore the ephod. This was a garment that the high priest would wear when making sacrifices for the sins of the people or when seeking to know God's will on a particular matter. So while David waited on the priest, all of this was taking up valuable time. The raiders are getting further and further away, making rescue of the captives less likely. Yet David didn't use his earthly military experience or his warrior instincts and charge after in search of vengeance. Instead, he waited on the Lord for guidance. The third lesson I want to draw from this is that sometimes we have to wait on the Lord. His timing may not be our timing, but we need to put our trust in him. If you recall the death of Lazarus as recorded in the New Testament, the family sent news to Jesus that Lazarus was seriously ill. Lazarus was a close family friend. But Jesus waited four days after hearing his illness. And by the time he arrived at the family home, Lazarus was dead and it seemed that all was lost. In the end, Lazarus was raised from the dead. God was glorified and the Lord Jesus Christ became a reality to those around him who hadn't yet understood that he was the son of God. We don't have the high priest garment to divine God's will for our lives, but we do have his word, the Bible. And many today listening can testify to knowing God's will through the reading of his word and prayer. That is a vital activity in our fellowship with our Heavenly Father. To, have, to know that through prayer and reading his word, we can be in communication with him and understand his will for our lives. So David is standing with the priest and he asks, Inquire of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? In verse 8, 
from the reading, the Lord answers, pursue them and you shall certainly overtake them. Having obeyed God, David is energized and the men who were previously about to kill him are back under his control. He sets off in pursuit of the Amalekites. They had a bigger army than David and David almost immediately he gets a setback. 200 of his 600 men are so weary after the three-day march to Ziglag that they just can't go any further. But David didn't let this setback discourage him. Losing a third of his army was serious, but such was his faith that he continued in pursuit of the raiders. As they set off, they find a man collapsed in the desert. He's part of the raiding party, but has become too weak to continue, so has been abandoned. David shows him kindness and compassion. Already we're seeing a different David from the one who massacred everyone in the towns he raided. Their man repays the kindness by showing, where, by showing David where the raiders have gone. David uses surprise and routes the raiders and rescues the hostages and takes the spoils of war and recovers everything that has been carried away. There's a useful lesson from the aftermath of the success over the Amorites. David and his victorious men return and they meet up with the 200 who were too tired to stay with David. Some of those men who had stayed with David tried to insist that the 200 men should only be given their families back but not the plunder. These men who argued this are described as wicked and worthless and probably the same as those who wanted to kill David when they returned to Ziglag. But David said, look, Look at what the Lord has given us. David ignored them and ensured that everyone was treated fairly. And he also sent some of the spoils to the leaders in Judah, part of Israel, perhaps to make us amends for his time with the Philistines. So the fourth lesson for us this morning is that in good times, when things are going well, we need to acknowledge that all these blessings come from God. It's easy to forget God's goodness and grace to us when things are going well. We also need to have a spirit of generosity to those who do not always seem deserving of the blessings that they receive. So we see from this account of the life of David that when in the deepest despair, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That he sought God's will for his life and his actions and that he believed God's promise and acted upon it. The fifth lesson I think that we can draw from the passage today is our Heavenly Father is a loving and forgiving God. Those of us who've put our trust in Jesus Christ as our personal Saviour have had our past, present and future sins forgiven and will always find a welcome to restore or revitalise our relationship with our Heavenly Father. But does this mean we can live whatever type of life we want? Far from God? and just come back to him when it suits us or when things get tough? I think the lesson from David's life was although that he disappointed God on many occasions, God was always there for him. But, and there is a but, but for David there was a personal cost to his disobedience. We see this time and time again in his life. And one of David's great ambitions was to build a magnificent permanent structure in Jerusalem for the Ark of the Covenant and other holy objects where, where God would dwell in the midst of his people. 
But God said, no, David, you can't build it. You have too much blood on your hands. Your son Solomon will be the one who will build it. You see, in his time as a bandit working for the Philistines, he'd shed a lot of innocent blood. And in fact, he did so at other points of his life as king. So David had to live with the disappointment of never having seen the temple built. And so in our lives, although we have a loving and heavenly Father, sometimes we have to live with the consequences of our sins. In conclusion, I hope that the five lessons that we have looked at this morning will be of comfort and help to you. We can draw comfort from this account of David's life, that we have a personal saviour who will be with us through good times and bad. As we all face a very uncertain future, let us strengthen ourselves in the Lord. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, David is recorded in the form of a hymn or psalm where he says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my saviour. These are all words and sentiments that we can take and apply to our own lives as we live in this very uncertain world. Thank you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the encouragement that it brings to our hearts. We do live in very difficult times. We think especially of our members, Lord, who perhaps live alone, who don't have immediate family support and are isolated from friends and their communities. We just pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them. We think especially of those who have yet to master technology, Lord, and don't have the benefit that so many of us have of having fellowship uh, by digital means. We think of our country, Lord, and we pray for those who make decisions that influence and impact on our lives in the future. We just ask, Lord, that those who are in search of a solution to this awful virus will be blessed and that we may quickly find a means by which society will be rendered safe from the evils of coronavirus. For our own church and fellowship, Lord, we pray that as we return slowly towards normality, that you will bless us and protect us and keep your hand upon us. We think as we return to the physical church, Lord, that you will give us enthusiasm to go there, that we may indeed renew fellowship uh, with each other and worship with you. But keep us safe in doing of that, Lord, and, and give us wisdom in terms of how we bring that return about in a safe and timely manner. For all of your goodness and mercies to us, we give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our closing hymn is... Lord, I come before your throne of grace. I find rest in your presence and fullness of joy. In worship and wonder, I behold your face, singing, what a faithful God have I. Thank you. <laughs>